Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, the 2020 NFL preseason is already starting to take COVID-19 casualties, and we're talking about rivalry week over at SB Nation. But first, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Baltimore Ravens went head-to-head to find out who would be crowned Super Bowl champions. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bucks Nation? Welcome to the Locked on Bucks podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. I am your host for today's episode, David Harrison. You can find me on Twitter at dharrison82. Of course, you can find my partner in crime, James Yarko, over at jyarko underscore bucks. And find everything we're writing at Bucks Nation and on Twitter at bucks underscore nation. Follow the show at Locked on Bucks on Twitter. We've got some fun stuff to talk about here to end the week. But first, your lead Tampa Bay Buccaneers story. Hey, Chris, how much money uh, how changed much money hands on you giving up the 12? Uh, listen, uh, I think he said he gonna, we're going to get a Super Bowl. So I, I'm going to hold him to that. There, there you, you go. go. No, that, I said Chris. that was NFL great quarterback Steve Young asking Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Chris Godwin about the compensation he's going to be receiving from quarterback Tom Brady for giving up the jersey number 12 over to Brady as he joins the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the 2020 NFL season with Chris Godwin commenting that he thinks Brady promised them a Super Bowl ring and that he's going to hold him to that. Of course, that was from the live broadcast from the Checkdown on Twitter that was hosted by James Coe, Steve Young, and Snoop Dogg and featured Chris Godwin manning the sticks for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Marquise Brown or Hollywood Brown manning the sticks for the Baltimore Ravens as the two sides went up in their offseason simulation Super Bowl matchup to find out who would be the champion of their offseason long tournament uh, to figure out who was going to be the victor after everything was said and done. And listen, guys, early on, uh, Chris Godwin led the Buccaneers to an early scoring strike. Tom Brady hooking up with Scotty Miller Scooter, as he called him during the broadcast, for a big touchdown to give the Buccaneers an early lead. But Marquise Brown and his Ravens squad uh, stormed back, took a nice sizable lead, lead leading into the end of the first half. However, Chris Godwin was able to trim the lead just a little bit before halftime arrived eventually tying up the game later in the second half. And then with two minutes and 20 seconds remaining in the fourth quarter, Chris Godwin had the Buccaneers down eight, had a first and goal at the four-yard line when this happened. Brady scanning. I'm sure Look, you never seen before. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's not a card. Oh, no. That's not a card. He did not. He did not. That is what it sounded like as Chris Godwin scrambled on first and goal from the four-yard line with quarterback Tom Brady, getting the ball right up to the goal line before Marquise Hollywood Brown used Baltimore Ravens defender Matthew Judon to punch the ball loose. Then safety Chuck Clark scooped up the ensuing fumble, took it all the way back, giving the Baltimore Ravens a two-score lead with less than two minutes remaining in the game, essentially sealing the win. Hollywood Brown and the Baltimore Ravens would go on to defeat Chris Godwin and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Raymond James Stadium for the Super Bowl title by a final score of 64-42. to Of course, the Baltimore Ravens and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers both enter 
the 2020 NFL season as teams identified to be favorites to potentially land in the Super Bowl this next postseason. Although I don't think anybody expects to see Tom Brady running the ball much, if at all, during the 2020 season, especially in the postseason, especially in the Super Bowl on a first and goal from the four-yard line. And even if he were to try to do so, the Buccaneers would try to catch the Ravens off guard like Chris Godwin was trying to do there. I think Tom Brady has enough experience in the league that when he sees a guy like Matthew Judon barreling down on him at the goal line, he's probably going to get down at the two-yard line before taking that hit, live to play another down, go second and goal from the two instead of trying to muscle his way in uh, against the likes of guys like Matthew Judon. But still entertaining to see even if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers didn't come out with the win. It was a good time, a good show. If you missed it, you can go over to the Checkdown on Twitter or on various social media platforms and check out the action. A lot of fun there with those three hosts. Again, James Co., Steve Young, and Snoop Dogg. They're commenting while Chris Godwin and Marquise Brown were, were mic'd up playing online in their in their Madden tournament matchup. Plenty more fun coming up in this episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast to close out the week here. But before we move on to the rest of the show, we're going to pause here for a second and talk about our title sponsor for today. And that, of course, is Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models and vehicles, it's impossible for your local store to stock every single part that your car is ever going to need. But rockauto.com provides you a source to get the exact part you want for your exact car for the exact job you need to do and the best part about them guys is they don't price based off of your experience level they don't price any differently for car manufacturers and auto repair shops than they do for you rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years now go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers they have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps motor oil and even new carpet so whether it's your classic or your daily driver you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts at your local store? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Closing out the week here at the Locked On Bucks podcast. Uh, You just listened to the first segment where we were talking about the, uh, the, the check down Madden tournament that they just closed out with Chris Godwin representing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, unfortunately falling to Marquise Hollywood Brown representing the Baltimore Ravens. So a little bit of fun to start the show. We're going to have another little bit of a fun segment there uh, to end the show as well today. However, here in the middle, we're going to sandwich a little bit of bad news. Uh, unfortunately, some developing things happening in the NFL that don't necessarily bode well uh, for the future of the league this season with all the COVID-19 stuff going on. And that, of course, being that on Thursday, the NFL announcing that the Hall of Fame game, the 2020 Hall of Fame game, which was supposed to feature the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers, has officially been canceled. And the Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony is also expected to be delayed or is going to be delayed until 2021, where the Cowboys and Steelers are now, according to a tweet and article from Adam Schefter of ESPN, they will be the team's facing off in the 2021 Hall of Fame game, and the enshrinement ceremony is also expected to be held then. So I suppose we're going to have one really big enshrinement ceremony. So, hey, guys, if you can make it out to Canton next year, if you're just a a true fan of football, uh, make it out to Canton next year, you're basically going to get two enshrinement ceremonies for the price of one. Uh, Guys like Edger and James, Troy Palomalu, and Steve Atwater having to wait perhaps another year before they can get up on that stage, give their acceptance speeches, and have uh, all that, all the fanfare and all the stuff that goes along with that. So unfortunate uh, situation for them, of course, and for that whole thing. 
Uh, but it's just kind of one thing, and, and we've been talking about this during the entire offseason, you know, with the NFL uh, doing the draft, not taking the draft to Vegas and doing it social distance style from people's homes uh, and basements and all that. The NFL is doing everything they can behind the scenes and up front. Guys, I can confirm to you that the league is doing everything in their power to make sure that a 2020 season happens. Uh, but as we get closer to the season having to happen, you've already seen the cancellation of a lot of these OTAs, these rookie mini camps, some of these quarterback schools like Bruce Arians was talking about. Uh, earlier in the month have been canceled. Teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have leaders like Tom Brady who continue to do these offseason workouts off-site uh, with some of their teammates, even with the NFLPA, kind of coming out and saying, hey, guys, maybe we, we recommend that you probably don't do those. Uh, but as of you know the latest information, we've had Tom Brady and, and some of the Buccaneers teammates still getting together within state guidelines uh, and doing what they can to get ready for the season. And honestly, until – until they're legally prevented from doing so, I honestly don't expect the Buccaneers players to do anything less than what they've already been doing. Uh, but a little bit of a blow. And, you know, uh, so there's obviously a few mixed reactions, right? And there's a lot of people out here, uh, some fans mostly, who are kind of taking this as a sign that maybe the season's not going to happen. Uh, we're pretty much all already expecting the preseason to be uh, shrunk down, probably only getting two games out of it. Media is not expected to attend uh, the training camp sessions like they usually do. Fans are certainly probably not in the mix for preseason uh, or training camp sessions and probably in for preseason games. In fact, at this point, I almost kind of look at it as if we get football without fans in the stadiums, hey, guys, that's better than no football at all, right? That's that's kind of the way I'm going to look at it. Would you rather have Madden 21 being your exclusive uh, location for up-to-date football? Um, it, it's kind of funny, actually. Everybody always kind of insults Madden saying it's just – you know, uh, more of the same game with updated rosters. Well, that may be the only chance you get to see the updated rosters uh, in the 2020-2021 season if things continue going the way they are. But uh, Pro Football Talk did send out a tweet saying that, listen, they don't think that uh, this cancellation of a Hall of Fame game, that the delaying of the Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony is a bad sign for the season itself. They think that it's kind of just business as usual, that for the most part, people behind the scenes have kind of been expecting this or planning for this since, you know, even months earlier, um, and that fans should not take this necessarily as a sign of more doom and gloom to come. And I will tell you, and this is not going to be a surprise for anybody who listens to the show on a regular basis, I also don't recommend hitting the panic button. You know what I mean? Uh, what I say is, what I'll say right now is what I've been saying all year. They're going to take each level of this thing as it comes. You know, uh, we've already gotten word that training camp players are not going to be allowed to report early to training camp like they've been able to do in the past. So pretty much the league is pushing this thing as back as far as they can, not having players report to training camps until they absolutely have to. It's absolutely necessary to get their bodies in shape, not just from a strategic standpoint, learning the schemes, putting in the play installs and all that stuff, but also from a health standpoint. You don't want to have these players not doing training camp at all and then showing up in early to mid-September and saying, all right, guys, go out there and play. You know what I mean? Uh, we see games, we see sports like baseball and the hockey guys are coming out here and they're getting a little bit of a ramp up uh, in order to play their sport as well. And uh, hockey's, you know, probably a little bit more as physical as football is, maybe a little bit more so in, in some aspects as they're able to, to fight for the most part. But football, definitely. I mean, football is a game that your body has to be ready to play in order for you to play it safely and, and consistently. And the last thing the league wants is to have a whole bunch of players going down to uh, pulled muscles, torn ligaments, and all that stuff because their bodies weren't physically ready. So doing everything they can, but they're they're kind of cutting out the the stuff that's maybe not as critical. You know what I mean? I want to call it unnecessary. I think rookie camps are necessary. I think some of these you know quarterback classes or quarterback schools, like they like to call them, are necessary. Some of the voluntary OTAs are definitely necessary for those who need them. Um, so I don't want to call them unnecessary, but I think they're things that the league and maybe the players association, the owners and the coaches kind of can all agree and say, you know, we don't like getting rid of it, but 
if it if it helps us have a season, we're willing to go without for this year in order to facilitate that. So uh, that's the latest and greatest. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to see the Dallas Cowboys and Pittsburgh Steelers playing in Canton to open up the preseason. We're not going to see an enshrinement ceremony, uh, at least not in the time frame that we're used to. Again, Adam Schefter saying that the enshrinement ceremony for the 2020 Hall of Fame class probably going to get pushed to 2021. Hopefully, maybe we'll see a buck or two in that class as well. So maybe we get to see John Lynch uh, going to the hall, or maybe we could see Rondé Barber going to the hall in the next enshrinement ceremony, even though it'll technically be the 2021 class. Uh, it still could be considered the very next uh, one. Then, of course, uh, the fans, you know, the, the the mega fans, the Buccaneers mega fan that got put in, you know, uh, Big Buck Nasty at, you know, uh, Big Nasty at Big Buck Nasty going into the Ford Hall of Fans voted in by you guys. Uh, big, you know, a huge honor, obviously. Um, so that's, you know, that whole thing is going to get pushed back a little bit as well. Uh, you know, you can at least assume. So again, a little bit of bad news, but again, I wouldn't necessarily hit the panic button. I don't think it's time to jump ship just yet. Uh, but again, the NFL is doing everything they can. These teams, these players doing everything they can to make sure that there is a season. The Buccaneers trying to make good on yet another round of hype, another level of excitement that this team might actually be able to make it back to the postseason. Not only make it to the postseason, but find postseason success, potentially participate in the same Super Bowl that their home stadium, Raymond James Stadium, will be hosting uh, early in 2021. So like I said, guys, a little bit of bad news uh, sandwiched in between two hopefully fun things. Fun things for us, uh, fun things for me to talk about and for us to share with you guys. Hopefully you guys enjoy hearing about them uh, as well. And that's what we're going to get to here in just a minute is some more fun uh, but before we do that, of course, we got to talk to you about Built Bars. They've been one of our our most one of the one of the sponsors we have had the show that we've had the most fun with. Uh, James and I are proud uh, customers of the company as well as spokespeople uh, through this ad campaign. Um, so you guys already know that we're big fans of this uh, of this product and Built Bar. It, yes, it is a protein bar, but as we've been telling you guys, it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And I will tell you, I've recently had to switch my work schedule. I'm starting to work nights. And so I basically sleep up until I have to get ready for work, work an overnight shift. And on my way into the office, uh, I grab myself a Built Bar, I grab myself a can of pineapple juice, and that's kind of my go-to. And that's how I get my evening started. It's a really good way to get the evening started. And even though it feels like I'm kind of cheating or you know starting off my my work day without you know the best nutrition in the world, they're not bad for you really. These bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. For example, the peanut peanut butter brownie. Uh, which is one of my top three favorites, has 20 grams of protein, just 170 calories, three grams of sugar, and three grams of net carbs. So for me, as a way to kind of kickstart my night, uh, keeps me from having the the Z monster attack me early on in the evening as the sun is firmly set and firmly down. All of the rest of you are probably nestled cozy in your beds. Not all of you, but a lot of you. Um, so, of course, if you want to get in on the fun, all you got to do is head over to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. And you, too, can get $10 off of your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And, guys, if you listened to the Thursday or to the Wednesday episode rather that James had with Bailey Adams. Uh, James announced our winner of our recent, most recent giveaway, which is one free box of built bars. So if you, if you entered into that, there was a tweet that you had to vote on and comment on. And one of the random commenters was picked to win that box. If you commented on that tweet, if you participated in that tweet and you have not listened to our Wednesday episode again, that was the episode with James and Bailey Adams talking about the Tom Brady's continued workouts with his Buccaneers teammates. The winner of that box was announced in there. All you got to do is go listen to that episode, see if it was you. If it was, DM the Locked on Bucks Twitter account, and we will set that up for you. So far, that person has not given us the heads up that they uh, want to claim their prize 
probably give them over the weekend, which means we'll actually probably give them to our next Wednesday episode next week. Um, if that person doesn't claim their prize by that Wednesday episode, we'll probably open it back up and maybe do a different style giveaway where we'll be just pick another comment uh, for for uh, for that free box. Uh, but again, uh, appreciate Bill Bar sponsoring the show and appreciate you guys who have reached out to us and told us that you've taken advantage of that offer. Capping off this last full week in June, can you guys believe it's already almost July? Next week, it will be July. Uh, seems like it's going by really fast, especially considering everything that's happening uh, in our country and really kind of in the world as well. But something that's been happening this week over at SB Nation and BucksNation.com specifically, of course, is Rivalry Week. And what we did uh, at Bucks Nation is what we went ahead and did is three of us, James Yarko, myself, and Evan Winter, who you guys are familiar with from the show as well, and his his podcast with Bailey Adams now, North, the North and South podcast. If you haven't checked that out, please go ahead and do so. Uh, we each took one team. So James took the New Orleans Saints. Evan took the Carolina Panthers. I took the Atlanta Falcons. And we basically each kind of made a case for why each of those NFC South division rivals was the the biggest rival or the, the rival that we hated the most uh, from the group. And then kind of left it to you guys for a vote and say, hey, you know, is this is this team that we're talking about here in this spe- uh, specific post your most hated rival or your biggest rival in your eyes for the Buccaneers within the division? And I just kind of want to talk about that with you guys here on the show. So I'm going to start with the Atlanta Falcons because that's the one that I wrote. And listen, uh, I don't think it was really any surprise to anybody. It wasn't a surprise to any of the other writers or to Gil RC or to James Jarko, our editor, uh, site manager and deputy. I don't hate the Falcons, and I just can't bring myself to hate the Atlanta Falcons. But, you know, I did go ahead and do a little bit of research and kind of dig into the history a little bit more to see. Maybe there's a moment that I just kind of blocked out or forgot. I mean, really the biggest moment that stands out in my mind is uh, the, the hit on Mike Evans. Um, you know, they're on the sideline, but even that isn't enough to make me just hate the entire squad. Um, obviously, the Atlanta Falcons pre-NFC South creation had guys like Deion Sanders. Um, Andre Risen was on the team. You know, they had Jamal Anderson and the Dirty Bird there for a little while. Uh, there, so there's been some things in history with the Atlanta Falcons, obviously making the one Super Bowl trip. But even that Super Bowl trip ends up not being a signal of why I might disdain the Atlanta Falcons. It's actually going to adds to... Uh, kind of that that image that I have of them in my brain that really doesn't allow me to have or harbor any hate for them. Uh, but one interesting thing I did find, uh, which I didn't you know have registered in my brain going into it, is I stumbled upon an article that Scott Smith, who you guys uh, know from Buccaneers.com, he's been a guest on this show several times, good friend, uh, senior writer and editor of Buccaneers.com. Uh, he wrote an article a couple years ago, actually, about the history between the Falcons and the Buccaneers. And he brought up the, the connection between Sam Weish and Jerry Glanville, of course, Jerry Glanville, once in Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons head coach, Sam Weiss, a Buccaneers head coach. Uh, but both of them also had history dating back to their times coaching in the AFC Central. And something that I, I put in the article, but I want to read to you guys here on the air as well, uh, from Scott's write-up over there at Buccaneers.com. He wrote, quote, with Glanville piloting the Houston Oilers and Weish at the helm of the Cincinnati Bengals, there was apparently no love loss between the two. Weish's Bengals running up the score in a 61-7 win over Glanville's Oilers in 1989 may have had something to do with that. Glanville's Falcons drubbed uh, Richard Williamson's Buccaneers 43-7 in 1991 and then poured it on again the next year in, 30, in a 35-7 victory in Tampa. That was Weish's first year as the head coach in Tampa, and during the offseason, he had cut linebacker Jesse Solomon, who took the move personally. Solomon ended up with the Falcons, and Glanville fanned the Flames of the rivalry by letting Solomon play on offense late in the blowout, even giving him two handoffs that he turned into 12 yards. And, you know, I think as you go through the history of the NFL, Sam Weiss and Jerry Glanville, definitely two of 
you know, they're probably not, you know, they're not up there with the likes of like Bill Parcells or anything like that, but two very charismatic, two, two head coaches that had a lot of character to them and weren't afraid to kind of voice their thoughts and their opinions. And I just kind of, and I kind of speculated in our road. I kind of thought about it on my own. It's like, you know, this is obviously pre NFC South days, so they're not facing each other twice a year, but man, could you imagine Jerry Glanville leading the Atlanta Falcons and Sam Weish at the helm of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing in the NFC South twice a year? That might have actually changed the course of this rivalry, and that actually could have put the Atlanta Falcons in a situation where they are one of the more hated division rivals of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But as it stands, it just isn't that. It just doesn't seem to be that way. And I think a lot of it is because really the biggest rivalry you can find between these two teams is their exchanging of coaches. Um, you know, the latest one being Dirk Cutter. Dirk Cutter coached uh, was an offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons for a period of time under Mike Smith who was then the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Of course, then when Dirk Cutter became the head coach of the Buccaneers, he brought Mike Smith in to be the defensive coordinator. So going from the Falcons to the Buccaneers there. And then, of course, you also have Raheem Morris, who for a short period of time was the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Very young, probably not fully ready and equipped to be a head coach. Uh, Ends up going to the Washington Redskins first after being fired by the Buccaneers, but then he eventually lands with the Atlanta Falcons. And, of course, last year his name comes back up because he's given a lot of credit for the resurgence of that secondary, that Falcons secondary, later on into the season, now kind of moving his way back up. And I've, I've speculated on this show, and I stand by that speculation, that if things go south for the Falcons very quickly, we may see a situation where Dan Quinn gets fired in season. I know Arthur Blank doesn't really have that reputation, but we could see a situation where Dan Quinn gets fired in season. And I wouldn't be surprised if Raheem Morris gets made the interim coach over a guy like Dirk Cutter, who is on his second stint uh, there with the Atlanta Falcons as the offensive coordinator. So some mixed matching of coaches, some shuffling of coaches there, of course. But outside of that, there's really not a whole lot there. And I mean, you know, it's not like Dirk Cutter is a coach who is hated on the same passion as some people hate coaches like Bill Belichick or Sean Payton, who we'll get to here in a second. Um, so it's really, you know, you don't want to lose to him because it's your former coach. And you don't want to lose to him because it's a division rival. But really, I don't, I don't sense a whole lot of hatred in that relationship. And if there was kind of a front office or kind of a management position sw- or a swap that would cause that hatred, it would be the one that actually Evan Winter, uh, as the before the before the post went to press, uh, Evan actually messaged me on Twitter and was like, "Hey, bro, are you actually gonna are you gonna remember to put or are you putting Rich McKay in there from 2003?" And I told him, I was "Like, you know what, man? Honestly, I had focused on the coaching relationships uh, because a little bit of history into me. If you guys didn't know, in 2003, I was overseas and I didn't have access to American television. So when the 2003-2004 NFL season went down, I wasn't able to watch it in person. I wasn't able to watch some of those dramas unfold. Obviously, I was following the team, I was reading about it, I was hearing about it." But, you know, the, the Internet wasn't what it was or what it is now by any means. And in Germany, again, a uh, young soldier living in the barracks. I didn't really have access to that stuff like we do today. So as much as I heard about it, I never really lived through it. But then Evan's talking to me, and, and he, you know, he lived through it. He was in the States. He was a teenager living through that drama and witnessing that drama. And I actually even threw the quote that he sent me in the messenger in there. And what Evan told me was, quote, 2003 was arguably the worst season I've witnessed as a fan. So much anger and disappointment from that season. End quote. So to, to tie in my emotions with that, what I did is basically imagined if Jason Light this year were to get fired, or not get fired, but be allowed to go seek other employment in early December-ish, end up going to the Atlanta Falcons in season, and then taking the helm of that team 
and just in time to give the Buccaneers one final loss and knock them out of the playoffs. Yeah, as a fan, I would not look at Jason Light the same way uh, that I did probably going to that whole experience. So I can definitely see where Buccaneers fans come through there. So even though I didn't witness it myself the way, you know, in living color as a lot of you might have or as Evan certainly did, I can definitely feel the emotions with that. So I definitely went ahead and put that in there and included Rich McKay. But again, I mean, according to you, even your guys' comments on Twitter and on the post itself, the Atlanta Falcons just don't move the meter when we're talking about hatred. 91% of you that voted on SB Nation or on BucksNation.com voted that no, the Atlanta Falcons are not your most hated rival of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We even got a couple of comments on the post. Uh, Gigatron9003 Buck Troll, great name, uh, wrote, I can't bring myself to hate the Falcons. I share so much common ground with Falcons fans, especially in their loathing, loathing of dem ain'ts. Uh, one buck person quoted, commented on their same after 28 to three. I can't look at their franchise with anything worse than indifference and went on from there. Uh, somebody else wrote, I love the Falcons 28 to three. And I even put in my own art. I know it's, it's probably an old trick. It's probably an old shot. Falcons fans are probably really sick of it, but you know, I put in the end of my own writing that if I've got three reasons to hate the Atlanta Falcons, I've got 28 reasons why I really don't hate them that much. So kind of a cheap shot by me as well, but that's pretty much wrapped up what I had to say about the Atlanta Falcons and some of the things you guys shared as well. Moving on to the New Orleans Saints, my normal co-host James Yarko uh, wrote up the New Orleans Saints profile and going straight to the enter the boogeyman section of his write-up, he wrote about the 2006 season kind of changing everything up for the New Orleans Saints and he wrote, quote, it was that season that the Saints brought in a quarterback with a questionable medical issue who was ousted from San Diego in favor of the young gunslinger Phillip Rivers. Yes, Drew Brees has come to New Orleans. Not only that, but they used the number two overall pick in the 2006 NFL draft to take arguably the most electric college player we had seen up to that point, USC's Reggie Bush. Oh yeah, they also hired the always personable and level-headed Sean Payton that year, end quote. Uh, he didn't type it in sarcasm font, but if you listen to the show and if you know James, then you know he's definitely being sarcastic. But some of the angst between the Saints you know, and, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers didn't stop there. Obviously, the Saints have had a lot of success since Drew Brees and Sean Payton joined the organization. I think most Buccaneers fans kind of share a little bit of a hatred or disdain for Sean Payton as a coach for this per- personality, kind of the way that he, he has kind of taken to his own success. But James even went all the way back to December of 1977, bringing up a quote from Archie Manning, who was the Saints quarterback at the time, saying, quote, I don't want to be the laughing stock of the league, and that's what we'll be if we lose to Tampa Bay, end quote. Ouch. Um, and James went ahead and wrote, well, Archie, your Saints were the first team in history of the National Football League to lose to the Buccaneers, of course, as the Bucs snapped their initial 26-game losing streak to start their franchise by defeating Archie and those Saints. But at the end of the day, guys, I mean, I think a lot of the hatred for the New Orleans Saints comes from not just Sean Payton and his less than personable personality, uh, so to speak, but also from their success, you know, and that's just kind of how things go when you're in a competitive environment and you see one team having more consistent success than your team or that a team that you support. Uh, that's kind of a natural thing. Like the people, you know, hate the Patriots. I'm sure in the mid nineties, people hated the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and then going to the poll results, 69% of you voted that. Yes, the New Orleans saints were the Buccaneers biggest rivals in your opinion. Finally, we move on to the Carolina Panthers written by Evan winter. And I mean, you can see it right there from the title. The title says rivalry week. Why I hate the Carolina Panthers. The subtitle says it burns so, so deep. And I'll tell you guys, if you haven't already read it, you need to. Evan did a lot of a really good job of kind of chronicling his experiences watching the Carolina Panthers 
really from like the inception of the franchise all the way to the NFC South creation. And then ever since um, I'm going to jump kind of right to my biggest gig uh, against the Carolina Panthers. And that of course is Cam Newton. Listen, I know some of his teammates have come out, coaches have come out and people have said, you know, he's actually a really personable guy, very team focused. Listen, I, I judge him as a player from what I see. And what I see is a guy who is very self-absorbed. Yes, he gives touchdown balls to to kids in the stands, and I think that's amazing. I hope every one of those kids enjoys a touchdown ball they got from Cam Newton uh, and, and they enjoy it for the rest of their life. I'm not trying to take anything away from that. However, uh, the way that he does it, everything that he does leading up to it, it's all about Cam Newton saying, hey, everybody, look at how great I am, not so much actually genuinely wanting to interact with fans. Listen, that's just the way I observe it. If you disagree, you could be right. I could be right. I don't know. I've never talked to the guy. That's just the way I look at it. Uh, but one thing that Evan wrote – uh, about Cam Newton specifically, which I found interesting. Quote, with Newton mostly at the helm, he started 14 of 18 games. The Panthers won six straight from 2013 to 2016. Overall, the average margin of victory was 15 points per game. Three games were decided by one score, and eight of the Panthers' 12 wins were by 14 points or more. That ain't good. In fact, it's downright disturbing, and I blame the Panthers for every bit of it. I hate their dumb Panther growl during games. I hate their keep-pounding motto, even if it's really easy to make fun of. Their stadium is one of the coolest stadiums in the NFL, and the Panther statue outside are cool, but I still hate all of it. And the worst part about all the hate is the fact that I hate them because they usually represent everything I want my team to be. So again, we see a little bit of jealousy in some of the success the Carolina Panthers have had, specifically against the Buccaneers, and then you know making it to a Super Bowl. Obviously, the Buccaneers having struggles getting just to the playoffs, let alone in the playoffs, since their own Super Bowl win. Of course, the Panthers have not won a Super Bowl title, so the Bucs still have that to hang over their heads. Going to the poll results, 60% of you voted that the Carolina Panthers are not the biggest Buccaneers rival. So the only team of the three in the division getting a positive, a majority positive vote, yes, saying that they're the biggest rival, are the New Orleans Saints. So really, I think that kind of squashes the whole conversation, right? New Orleans Saints are the biggest Buccaneers uh, rival, at least according to you guys. I think all of us pretty much agree Uh so we appreciate all of you guys who took time to vote and contribute to the comment section of those on social media, of course, as always. If you haven't read them, please do. They're a lot of fun, I think. Um, even the ones I didn't write, I actually uh, had a lot of fun reading them. And then we've got another one up. It's a roundtable uh, talking about the biggest division outside of uh, of the NFC, or the biggest rival outside the NFC South division. I think there's a lot of interesting takes in there as well. Of course, I think my answer is the best answer, and that is how we're wrapping up our rivalry week over at BucksNation.com. And guys, that's how I'm going to wrap up this episode and this week of the Locked On Bucks podcast. So thank you as always for joining me. Follow me as always on Twitter at DHarrison82. Follow my co-host James at JRCO underscore Bucks. Follow everything we are writing about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over at BucksNation.com and on Twitter at Bucks underscore Nation. Follow the show at Locked On Bucks. Guys, we will be back with you next week. Uh, we've got a little fun exercise that we're going to do. Uh, it's, uh, we're stealing it. I'm not even going to say it's inspired. Straight up stealing it from the Locked On Eagles podcast. Yes, I know we don't like the Eagles, but as network hosts, we're cool. Okay, so we're going to steal it from the Locked On Eagles. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to try to get Bailey and Evan involved in that as well. I'm looking forward to getting together with those guys and executing this idea if we can get it done uh, correctly. As always, guys, please have a good weekend. Please be safe out there. Please be good to each other if you can. And thank you so much for joining me right here at Locked On Bucks.